Wednesday? It's a happy Wednesday, but I'm glad you're having a good Wednesday. Turn to your neighbor, tell them happy Wednesday, happy Wednesday. It is Wednesday, right? What, what is Wednesday? What is Wednesday? What, your answer is best night of the week, by the way, in case you're wondering. <laughs> yes, all right, welcome, welcome. All right, if this is your first week, you're like, what is happening? We're about to dive into the words. Here's what's going to happen. First of all, actually, I don't know if we tell you this enough. I have something to tell you, if no one's told you this today. Do we tell you, like, we really love you guys? Do you know that? Do you know that we love you guys? Yes, nod your heads. We really do love you guys. Believe it or not, um, there is not a, like, special church manual that says you must have a Wednesday night meeting for youths that people come and like care for the youths. That's not in the manual anywhere. Um, we just happen to have like a community of mature Christian leaders who like give up time in their life for free, by the way, okay? To like come and hang out with you because they love you. They want to hear what's going on in your life. They want to spend time with you. Um, so if you know a leader in this room, sometime later today, give them a hug because they would cry probably because they love you that much. Uh, but yes, we do. We love you guys. We are here for a reason. And here's one of the reasons we're here for. First of all, I, I want everybody to pull out their phone. Do one of these. Hold it to me like a, like a rock concert. You can see my great wedding picture up there. Yes, here we go. And a text message, apparently. Uh, hold your phone up. Hold your phone up. Great. And then I just want you to set it face down on the ground. You, me, everybody. Face down on the ground. There we go. And then I want you to pick up this thing. This is called a Bible, okay? If you brought one, excellent, you're on it. If you didn't, no problem. Right in front of you is a Bible, perhaps behind you, okay? All right, hold this up. Let me see Bibles everywhere. Here we go. Yes. Even you. People over there, where are your Bibles? <laughs> there you go. You got it, okay? Hold your Bibles up. All right, this is what we're diving in today. Guys, we really believe that this is important. Like, God has something to say to us today, and it's actually way more important than what our friends or the internet has to tell us right now, okay? So we do something cray-cray, and we put the phones away for like 40 minutes. You can do it. It's not very hard. And we pick this thing up. Guys, this is our priorities. Here's what happens. We're going we're gonna to be diving into this. And believe it or not, like, secret to tell you. Can I tell you a secret? I can see. Yes. The secret from the pulpit is I can actually see all of you. So I know when you're on your phone, or I know when you're chatting, and most of the times I can hear you too, actually. So, common courtesy with your friends, phones away, Bible's out, save the potty break to the end. Because your bladders are fine, okay? I am pregnant, and my bladder is smaller than all of you, and I'm going to stand up here the whole time, okay? So, you can hold your bladder, okay? <laughs> All right, so this is our prayer today. Um, we're going to be in Romans 8. Romans 8? Romans 8, if you're new to the Bible, most likely you have a table of contents in the beginning of your Bible, like everybody else. Find Romans in the New Testament. Um, if you're using the Black Bibles, it's page 944. Am I right? Am I right, Christian? Yeah. I'm on the right page? Okay. Romans 8, or page 944, if you have a black Bible. Are you ready? Yes. Okay. 
All right, so I was recommended a movie recently that I, I'm gonna move my phone to the side on the ground so I don't step on it. I was recommended a movie recently that I will never watch. Wouldn't you like to know? <laughs> Here's the thing, I have watched movies in this genre before. No. The first time I watched a movie in this genre was probably late elementary school, maybe middle school, and I watched it like an addict. I went to a sleepover with a bunch of other girls, and we watched it legitimately three times in a row until like 2 a.m. It was like, we watched it so much, we watched it so much that I got sick of it, and I was like, never again! I'm never watching a movie in this genre again. And then, freshman year of college, some friends were going to the movies. There's a movie in this genre. I was like, Ugh. my friends though. And I went. And then I said, never again. I will never watch a movie in the genre again. You know the genre. No, we don't. <laughs> Please tell us the suspense. You know this, you know this. It's the genre that requires an entire box load of tissues. Let me explain the plot to you and it will, mean, it will meet like 17 movies. Okay? Girl and guy, couple, falls in love. It's beautiful. The characters are so great that you also fall in love with the characters. And then you find out that one of them has a fatal disease. And then they die, and that's the movie. Why are we clapping? No, you die, your like heart dies right along with them. It is the worst genre in the world. Okay, the first movie I watched, this will totally date me, because I doubt any of you except for maybe some of the grown-ups have watched it. Very Christian culture, A Walk to Remember. Anybody? I loved it! I cried so much! And then I hated it, and I never watched it again. And then my freshman year, we went to go see, yes, some of you said it, The Fault in Our Stars. Of course the book is better. It always is. Guys, the genre is no fun. I don't understand why people love to watch it. I got recommended something recently. Was it Me Before You? Is that the movie? You Before Me? Something like that. Sounds terribly sad. Another fatal situation going on. But no, I'm not gonna watch it. But there's something about those movies that like fascinates us. We want to know what people are gonna do with the last moments of their life. Right, how they're gonna spend their days, what would you do in those situations. There's something about like the inevitability of death we're like terrified of, but also fascinated with. Now for a moment, this is gonna be sad, so just follow along with me. We'll come out of it, I promise. Just for a moment, imagine that you're in one of those stories, okay? I know, just follow along, it's gonna be okay. You go home tonight, you think it's a normal Wednesday, you've had a great time at Citizens. You go home tonight and your parents are just kinda like staring at you with that face and you're like, what? And they sit you down on the couch and they're like, son, daughter, I know that you just had a normal, regular, checkup recently at the doctor, but your doctor just called me and said that you have a fatal illness. 
You'd be shocked, right? You would not be excited. You'd be shocked. You'd be like, oh my gosh. And they start explaining it to you, like, yeah, like several people have had this disease, and there's literally never been a cure. Like, nobody's ever found a cure. Everyone who has had this has died. Like, you have like a few months to live. Like, you would be devastated, absolutely devastated. It's in your genes, it's in your blood, there's no escaping it. I think after like coping with the fact that you have only a few months to live, like your outlook on life would change. Everything would change in your outlook on life, right? You're like, I've got a few days left, the clock is ticking, and as the clock continues to tick down in time and time, and you're coming to your last days, and you know it's your last days because you feel it in your body, and you feel sick, and, and you go to one of the, your last doctor's appointments, and they do your regular like blood checkup and all those things just to make sure that you're still there. And then the doctor comes back and is like, I have no idea how to explain this. But you're fine. There's nothing wrong with you. All of your tests are fine. Imagine that for a moment. Just imagine you had a death sentence. Like you had a date that like you were going to die and you knew it. And suddenly you had your life handed back to you. Imagine having your life handed back when all you had was death in front of you. We're imagining this story, and some of you may be like already 10 steps ahead of me, you smart people. Um, But this truly is our story. This is our story as humans, and it's the story of what Jesus has done for you. It's like we said, we're continuing the book of Romans today. We're in this series called The Summer of Life. We're in the book of Romans, chapter 8, this summer. Um, and, And Paul is talking, he's wrote a letter, it's a guy named Paul. He's writing a letter to a church in Rome, and this is some of the, like, most theologically dense yet like amazing truths in all of scripture. And today, Paul is gonna tell us how we, you and I, sitting here today, have been freed from death. Again, these are like dense sections, but um, you are no dummies, and I believe it. <laughs> and we're gonna break this down piece by piece. So let's, let's read it together, Romans chapter eight. If you're there, poke your neighbor in the nose. Don't poke me in the nose. Don't make them sneeze. All right, Romans chapter 8, verse 1. We're going to read to verse 7. Here we go. He says this. There is therefore now no condemnation for those who are in Christ Jesus. For the law of the spirit of life has set you free in Christ Jesus from the law of sin and death. For God has done what the law weakened by flesh, could not do by sending his own son in the likeness of sinful flesh and for sin. He condemned sin in the flesh in order that the righteous requirement of the law might be fulfilled in us who walk not according to the flesh, but according to the spirit. For those who live according to the flesh set their minds on the things of the flesh, but those who live according to the spirit set their minds on the things of the spirit. For to set the mind on the flesh is death, but to set the mind on the spirit is life and peace. For the mind that is set on the flesh is hostile to God, for it doesn't submit to God's law. Indeed, it cannot. Again, these are dense tonight, but as we break it down, we're gonna see that Jesus died so that we could be freed from death. 
Jesus died so that we could be freed from death. Let's look at these, these first lines again, the first two verses. He says, there is therefore now no condemnation for those who are in Christ Jesus. For the law of spirit of life has set you free in Christ Jesus from the law of sin and death. First thing we see tonight is that Jesus frees you from your guilty sentence. Jesus frees you from your guilty sentence. And you're like, whoa, 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 those are strong words. Guilty death sentence? A guilty death sentence? Like, I really deserve a guilty death sentence? But look at this. We're kind of actually starting in the middle of a sentence. He says, there is therefore, which means there was something before. He says, there's therefore now no condemnation or guilt. So what was there that did have guilt and condemnation? If you guys remember last week, Last week kind of hit us in the face. Did you feel that last week? Like, we saw last week that there is not one of us that is free from sin. Not one of us is good. Nobody. Not you. Not me. There's not one of us to good. In fact, if you have ever said to yourself or to another person, I'm a pretty good person. I'm pretty good. Pretty good kid. We're lying to ourselves. We're deceiving ourselves. There's no such thing. In fact, Dude, Paul, like the Apostle Paul, who like wrote pieces of scripture, was struggling with this last week. Do you remember what he said? Just look up a little bit in your, in your Bibles. Chapter 7, end of verse 18. He says, For I have the desire to do what is right, but I don't have the ability to carry it out. For I do not do the good I want, but the evil I don't want to do is what I keep doing. Skip down at the bottom. Verse 24. He exclaims with this like agony. He says, wretched man that I am, who will deliver me from this body of death? Man, Paul is crying out in deep grief and agony because he sees the struggle. He's like, here's this good that I want to do and the things that I want to do, right, but I, I don't actually do them and here are these things that I don't want to do that I know are wrong and I do them anyways. Like, who's gonna help me? Like, who's gonna deliver me from this? And guys, we have the same problem. We have the same disease. These words are the human cry of our humanness. Like we are in a fallen state. This battle of good and evil is not a new thing. Uh, We're opening our Bibles today kind of near the end, like if you look at your Bible, right? We're kind of in the last chunks here. Oh, no. I just lost my spot. But there's a whole Bible that came before this, okay? Psst, wings. Garrett, Laura, thank you. There's a whole Bible that came before this, right? And there's a story that is important here. And you open back up to the first pages, and the beginnings of good and evil started there. Right, God created this garden, middle schoolers, to be with and to bless his people, Right? He created that to be with them, to bless them. He wanted to be them. And he said, you can have all of this, all of these trees, all of these things, but this one thing, this one tree you can't have. And we look at them and we're like, what is he doing? God is doing this. He's asking them, do you trust me? Do you trust me that I know what is good for you, what is good in life and blessing, and I know what is bad and death and cursing? 
Do you trust me? And their answer was essentially, no. No, I don't trust you. And from that day on, we have flopped good and evil. They said it was evil, actually, to obey God, but it's actually good to rebel. And from that day on, we have swapped those all the time. In fact, the entire, like, chunk, you want a summary of the Bible? (laughs) In three seconds, maybe a little more. It's people suck, okay? Like, we can't do this. We're constantly swapping good for evil. We're constantly saying the evil is good and the good is evil. And this war has been going on since the beginning of time. There are so many stories in the scripture that you would read and be like, ew. How is this in the Bible? And it's in the Bible because it's showing us that not one, not one is righteous. No one can save themselves. No one knows good from evil. And this is, this is the state. And we don't even need, I mean, we do. We have the scriptures to tell us that our hearts are corrupt, but we don't need that. Just look around. You're like, I'm surrounded by evil people. No, no, Look in the mirror, <laughs> right? I wake up in the morning with good intentions, and I want to do good and I want to be good, and I want to help people, and I want to be kind, and I want to be selfless, and I want to like, serve and help, but then I find myself being selfish, and I find myself hurting people, and I find myself like, saying things and doing things I don't want to do, and I go to bed at night, and I'm like, wow, who's doing these things? It's me. I am guilty. But let's look at those first lines again. He says, there is therefore now no condemnation for those who are in Christ Jesus. No condemnation for those who are in Christ Jesus. Jesus is freeing us from our guilty death sentence. It says this, for the law of the spirit of life has set you free in Christ Jesus from the law of sin and death. What is this law of sin and death? God saw that humans are really bad at figuring out what's good and evil. And so really early on in this book, he gave the law, the law of Moses. He gave the law of what is good and what is evil. He said, okay, they are really bad at figuring out what's right and wrong, what's good and evil, so I'm going to give them a law to tell them what's good and wrong. But I'll ask you, how good are we at following rules? Not good. In fact, I don't know if it's like you, but there's something inside of me that when there is a rule, I want to break it. Anybody? My spouse and I have this fight all the time. He's like, there's rules for a reason. I was like, to be broken. It's like, that's not the reason. (laughs) Right? Like, there's something in us that wants to, like, rebel against these rules, against these laws. We want to scoff. In fact, if somebody tells me to do something, I'm going to do the exact opposite. Right? There's just this thing that lives inside of me that wants to do that. So, obviously, that law... It didn't work. That's why it's called off sin and death, because all it is is pointing out how further bad that we are. He gave, God gave us a p- blueprint to live, but our problem is so much deeper. It's not just deeper. It's not just can we do right or wrong. We have a heart problem. We desire the wrong things. We desire the wrong things. We need new hearts. We need the Spirit. He says, but <laughs> now... There is no condemnation because Jesus has set us free. We are able to choose 
good because Jesus has taken care of our guilty destinies. We're going to talk about how, but like what a sigh of relief, what a weight off your shoulders. Again, imagine being handed back life when your only option was death. Between these two things, between good and life and blessing and death and bad and cursing, we choose this every single time. It's in us. It's what we do. It is our human fallenness, but God's handed back a chance of life. Christian in this room, do you remember when that happened for you? Do you remember when you like really saw Jesus for the first time and the spirit just filled you and you began to desire new things? Like some of the old things you did or some of the old things that you liked, you're like, they've kind of lost their joy. And you begin to desire new things, things that God wants. Suddenly we go from wanting what we want to wanting what God wants. And man, if you're in here and that's not your experience, been in church your whole life or not, if that's not your experience, man, I have been praying for you this week. And I ask you to consider, are you living under the law of the spirit of life or the law of sin and death? I've been praying that you would hear this word from Jesus tonight, that he has come to set you free to live. And I pray that you see a community here who lives differently, who lives by a different set of rules and ethics and morals than you see out there because we're living in the law of the spirit of life because Jesus has freed us from our guilty death sentence and he died so that we can be freed from death. So how, how does he do this? How has Jesus accomplished this freedom for us? What in the world did he do? Why do we talk about Jesus all the time? Let's keep reading. Verse three. It says, for God has done what the law, weakened by the flesh, could not do By sending his own son in the likeness of sinful flesh and for sin, he condemns sin in the flesh in order that the righteous requirement of the law might be fulfilled in us who walk not according to the flesh, but according to the spirit. Okay, imagine the the story again at the beginning. Okay, remember the beginning story that made you all sad. You go home, your parents tell you you're going to not live much longer. You're like, oh man. I'm sick, I have a fatal illness, I'm not gonna survive from it. You go to the doctors, you find out that actually you're gonna live. Twist. What if the reason you're gonna live is because of some miraculous medical procedure where another person, I don't know, via some blood transfusion or something, could actually take all of the disease out of your body and put it in their body. Imagine, imagine that. Imagine that like one of your very close friends or your sibling or your parent or someone else in your family has chosen to take the disease out of your body and put it in their body and die. You have life because this person took on the death and disease in your body. That's mind-blowing. Like, imagine being in that situation. Like, really imagine being in that situation. What would you feel? I think I would feel two things, two very heavy things. One, I would feel the weight of that person's sacrifice. 
Like that person literally chose to die, to take this disease from my body so that I could live. That is a big sacrifice. And I think I would feel the weight of that sacrifice. And secondly, I would feel the weight of the meaning of that. Like this person believed in my life so much, they wanted me to live, they were willing to die. Like I don't think I would waste the rest of my life. You know, like if I was alive only because somebody died for me, when I deserve to die, I think I would live a little bit differently. I think I would see life a little bit differently, that I would live in a way that has more purpose because of the life that my friend or my sibling or my parent gave to me. And that's really what Jesus has done for us, what this text is talking about. This is what Jesus has done for us in his body. Let's look, let's look at these verses through that lens. We have an incurable disease. You do. It's not COVID. It's called sin. And it's always 100% led to death. No cure. Every time, 100% death rate. It's in our genes. It's in our blood. There is no getting rid of it. And there have been treatments to try to help it, right? Look at this. Look back down at your verses. Verse 3. The law, weakened by flesh, actually could not help us. God gave us the law as a treatment, but it was never a cure. The law was too weak to battle this raging disease of sin inside of us. It wasn't enough. However, God worked this miracle. He worked this miracle in us. Look, middle of verse three. How? By sending his own son in the likeness of sinful flesh and for sin, he condemned sin in the flesh. God did what no one else could do. He took the incurable sin out of our blood and put it in Jesus, right? He he carried our sin. He took the disease for us, and he took that sin to the grave. It was transferred to Jesus, and he died with it. It's like he took it from us, and he died with it so that it could, we could all be free from it. And now, end of verse 4, that we could walk according to the Spirit, and not according to the flesh. Man. If I knew that somebody died for me, I think I would live life a different way. And it seems odd. It seems like you've never really probably thought about this before, but it's actually really important that Jesus had a body. It is. You're like, of course Jesus had a body. I know, but it's very important that Jesus had a body. Because, one, he fulfilled what none of us could do. He obeyed God perfectly. He was completely righteous. He always chose good and not evil. He always chose to obey and not rebel. He always chose life. And yet, he died for us. He fulfilled the righteous requirement that we needed to stand before God 
but in his body he took in his flesh the sin and he took it to the grave for us. And it's also super important that he resurrected from the dead because death cannot hold Jesus and in his resurrection we see our future for those who are in Christ. This means that if we're in Christ, death for a Christian means you're just kind of asleep for a little bit. Other passages in, in the New Testament, Paul calls it, oh, they're like asleep for a bit. Like, no, they're actually dead. No, because death is not the end of the story for a Christian. He has freed us from death for life, to choose life instead of death. He has freed us from these things. It's like having your life handed back to you. What would you do if you were destined for death and suddenly you have your life handed back to you? You would want to live it well in honor of the person who died for you, who gave that up for you. Jesus took our guilty death sentence and he freed us to live in the spirit. Jesus died so that we'd be free from death. And he gave us new hearts, the hearts that always want to choose death and evil in our own way. He's giving us new hearts to choose life. So how? If you had your life handed back to you, how would you live? What is this new way that you live? What does it mean to walk in the spirit, to not walk according to the flesh? Let's look at our last verses here. Verse five. For those who live according to the flesh set their minds on the things of the flesh. But those who live according to the Spirit set their minds on things of the Spirit. For to set the mind on the flesh is death, but to set the mind on the Spirit is life and peace. For the mind that's on the flesh is hostile to God. It doesn't submit to God's law. Indeed, it cannot. The Jesus has freed us from our guilty death sentence. It is in freedom that we live in the Spirit. It's in freedom that we live in the Spirit. We've hit like a lot of like really dense theology. Welcome to Romans, okay? He dives us right in. And on top of that, he's using words that make no sense, okay? So like what does it mean to be in the flesh? Or what does it mean to be in the Spirit? Is this like I have a body I float in space. What does this mean to be in the flesh and the spirit? And you have like maybe some Christians around you like, oh, it means whether to live worldly or not. Well, that doesn't help either because what does that mean to live worldly? To live in the world or live not? What does this mean? What does this mean? So we're going we're gonna to break it down. First of all, he's, he continues to say this phrase called set their minds. This is not just like thinking about something a ton. This is a worldview, okay? Imagine this as a lens through which you see your whole life, okay? Like if you had a blue film in front of your face, everything would look blue, okay? Or the worst are like the sunglasses that have brown lenses. Ew, okay? Everything's brown, okay? So this is like the lens through which you see life, okay? And he's pointing out two different worldviews, and we're gonna break down these two worldviews. One is the worldview of flesh, okay? And I like to call this one, I am God. 
That's the worldview over here. I am God. It says to live according to the flesh is to set their minds on the flesh. So to live according to the flesh means that you view the world purely through a human-centered world. It's what I can see. It's what I can sense. It's what I can touch. It's what I can feel right now. It's what like, I desire, what I can do with my own power. It's the here and now of the flesh. How do you know if it is a flesh worldview, if it's an I am God worldview? Those who live this way are concerned with my wants, needs, desires. It's a self-centered life. They're concerned with what I can do with my own power and strength, what I can accomplish, what I can achieve. It's concerned with my name and my reputation, both here in this room with my friends, even what is my life impact going to be. It's concerned with what others can do for me. And look at this, this last line in our passage. It says, The mindset of the flesh is hostile to God, for it does not submit to God's law. The I am God worldview resists God and all of his laws, which, by the way, his laws sum up to two things, to love God and love others. The I am God, the flesh worldview, casts all that aside. It says, I am God. I decide the rules. And what is the result of this life? Look at it. Verse 6, to set the mind on the flesh is death. The result of this worldview is death. But he says, those who live according to the Spirit set their minds on the thing of the, of the Spirit. There's a second worldview over here, and it's simply this. God is God. God is God. This means that you view the world primarily through God's eyes. What he can do with his power in the world. Not only his purpose for my life, but the purpose for all humanity. This greater meaning for my life and hope and for something that we actually can't see or touch or feel or know today. Those who live according to the Spirit are concerned with what God wants, what God desires. They're concerned with what God can do by his power, which is so much greater than what we can do. Those who live according to the Spirit are concerned with God's name and his glory and his reputation in the world. They're concerned for what God would have me do for others in response to his love for me. And the most radical thing of it all, those who live according to the Spirit embrace God and his laws and his boundaries for my life. Because the same question posed to Adam and Eve is posed to us from God. Do you trust me? Do we trust God to know what's good for us? And the result, look at it, it says to set the mind on the spirit is life and peace. And man, these worldviews are constantly in a war for us, isn't it? Like, don't you like leave citizens and you're like, yes, I want what God wants. God's glory, woo! And then you get home and you're like, but I want what I want. 
and I'm actually the best. And we begin to war within these two things. And the hardest thing is because this side over here, the world of I am God, is what you are being preached every single day. You know what your problem in life is? You're not doing you. You're not living the way you're supposed to live. You're not living out your true identity. You can do whatever you want. You can be whoever you want. Nobody can tell you what you get to do or be or anything. You are you. It's radical. It is radical to say things like, hey, this isn't about me. I live for a bigger purpose. Like God actually tells me what I can and can't do because I know it's good for me. And look at these two results. This side, the life in the flesh, does what all flesh does. Dies. The life in the spirit, life and peace. Why is this life and peace and this death and chaos? Because if you're God and I'm God, we're going to have a very different opinion of what this world is supposed to be like. And this is it. This is the human condition. This is all of the scripture. This is all of what we experience in our world is we've got little gods all fighting each other for like what is life and like I want this but I want this and nobody can agree and we're arguing and we're having conflict and we're waging wars and we're having all these issues because I'm God and so are you. And it's not peace and it's not life. It's chaos and death and it's actually evil and we call it good. Beware, Christian. There are many things in this world that people say is good, and if you wipe the pain off of it, it's evil. It's not good. This is the worldview of the flesh. But over here, where God is God, man, we have somebody in charge. We have somebody in charge. This is a very silly example that I didn't have in my lesson. But is anybody in here Star Wars fans? Everybody else is going to be very confused. The first six movies, unified story plot. Why? One author. The last three? (laughs) (laughs) Why? Nobody's in charge, okay? Nobody's guiding a plot line, okay? That is life right there. When nobody's in charge, it's chaos. Over here, where God is God, there is a story, and there is a narrative, and there is redemption, and there is a good, righteous king in charge, and he knows what's good for you and for me, and when we embrace the life of the Spirit, we find life and peace. These are the two worldviews. And so I ask, what world are you living in right now? What is your worldview? And whatever it is, here or there, what is the result? What will be the final goal of that? And yes, it's true. My fellow brothers and sisters, that we will in this life constantly feel a war between these two. Because as crazy things happen when Jesus comes in our life, He gives us the Spirit, He renews our heart. But this, like my actual skin, is the same. (laughs) And I'm living in my flesh with the Spirit, and it begins to war inside of me. But here's the good news 
because of Jesus, I am freed to actually choose this side. But my flesh would always choose death because of Jesus' spirit in me. I have the power because of Jesus, because of his spirit, to choose life. We're no longer guilty. We no longer have to be headed towards a death sentence because Jesus took our guilty punishment and he gave us a chance to live for him in freedom. Jesus set us free to live. Jesus died so that we could be freed from death. So I have two concluding questions for you. One, have you been set free? Have you been set free? I'm way less concerned about whether you're a good kid or not. And way more concerned about what you think of Jesus. About who he is to you. Have you seen him? Have you met him? Has his spirit filled you? Have you been freed from this law of death? Have you had that moment where suddenly these things that you thought you wanted no longer taste good? And you have new desires. And you desire to follow Jesus. And we pray that that was you. We pray that if you have not had that experience, that God's word and that who Jesus is would become so real to you that you'd be set free from death so that it's nothing but a nap. And that you can live in life in peace. Secondly, if you're here and you're like, I have met Jesus. I've had that moment. I do love him. But what do I do when it feels like sin is still knocking at my door? Like, I'm, I'm with Paul. I'm like, I want to do what's good. But like, the good I want to do, I don't do. And the bad that I don't want to do is what I do. What do I do? What do we do? How can we live free when sin is at my door? You know, you know, we still live with sin every day. And in fact, it would be wise for us to remember that the greatest danger in this world is actually the sin that lives inside of me. That's the greatest danger for me. That sin is actually crouching at my front door, waiting to overcome me. But, the message of this, this text, the message of this is not just give your life to Jesus and you'll never struggle with this again. But what it does mean is that the power of Christ in you, the power of the Spirit in you gives you an opportunity to say no. And it gives you eyes to see God and to see good and to say yes. Christian, let us keep our eyes on Jesus Oh, may we ask him to help us and to guide us and to give us wisdom. Help. He will give you the strength to say no to these things, to fight the sin inside of you and know that like, you are forgiven, that there is no guilt. We're free from the shackles of sin and we look forward and hope to the day that he'll take care of it forever.
that he will free us from the sin inside of us. Because Jesus has freed us. He died so that we could be free from death and he set the path forward that we could live in life. I encourage you as we get ready to kind of sing our final songs, the band can come up, to really think through these like two worldviews. Am I living in my flesh or am I living by the spirit of Christ? And if you haven't asked the Lord (laughs) to help you follow him, I dare you. (laughs) I dare you to ask him to give you the strength to say no to sin, to say yes to God, to follow him in life because he has freed us from death. Let me pray. Lord God, we thank you. God, we thank you that you are so good. God, we thank you that when we failed, both as a human race with Adam and Eve in the garden and every story after that, as our hearts have chosen the wrong instead of the good, God, I thank you that you never, not once, gave up. God, that you desired to be with us, to love us, that you made a way to give us new hearts. God, we thank you that you have done in Jesus what nothing and no one else could ever do for us. God, we thank you that when we were destined to die, you gave us a way back to life. And God, we pray that you would awaken us to that truth. God, may you stir in our hearts the beauty of that truth that I was dead, but you gave me life. And God, we pray, God, that you would help us to live that life with purpose as we've been handed back our days, as we've been handed back an opportunity to live. Lord, I pray that we do not waste it mudding in the dirt in our flesh. God, that we would see sin for what it is, that it is not good, that it is evil, that it will kill me. And God, would we see you as our source of life and hope and peace. God, though it is so hard sometimes, would you give us the strength to say no to sin and say yes to God when we are mocked by our friends, when they roll our eyes at us, when they say nobody else is doing that. God, I pray that we would choose life in you over anything else. God, I pray that you would show us, open our eyes to the beauty of who you are. God, that everything in this life from our phones to our dreams would look like dust compared to Jesus. And God, as we answer the question of do you trust me with a yes, (laughs) help me to trust more. God, I pray that we would find the life and the peace and the comfort of living with you. God, we thank you for Jesus. God, we thank you that he took my death, my guilty sentence to give us life. So Lord, it is with rejoicing 
and thanksgiving and praise. God, that we respond to you tonight. Help us to follow you. Help us to trust you. Lord, we love you and we thank you. You're so good. Give us the strength to follow you. It's in your name we pray.